and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. This is Tim and Friends for what has turned out to be a remarkably busy day in Canadian sports is enough to get Jesse dancing. Wait a second. He does that every show. Even when he hosts. I did do that. I saw the moves. I had to. I saw the moves on the old PVR machine. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little shimmy. You got to like continue the tradition. You can't just like it's in the same room. It's not, you know. Is it a tradition? Yeah. I I just, yeah, I decided. (laughs) I decided that it was a tradition. For For me. The Toronto Blue Jays have parted ways with Charlie Montoya. Jeff Blair will be by to discuss that. Ken Rosenthal will be by to discuss that. And ho-hum, it is one of the biggest days on the sporting calendar here in our home and native land. NHL free agency officially open. The Oilers are keeping Kane. Calgary now begins life without Johnny Gaudreau. Where is he going? I don't know. Sounds like New Jersey, maybe Columbus joining the fray on Johnny Gaudreau. Interesting. Yeah, that's real interesting. Columbus, okay. The Leafs right. are going with the goaltending tandem of Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov. And did the Sens, the Ottawa Senators, steal the week? All that coming up in First Things First with Jesse Rubinoff, host, co-host, digital producer, What Can't He Do? And Pierre Maguire, who will join us in the opening hour. As if that weren't enough. How about Sens GM Pierre Dorian and brand spanking new Oilers Tendy Jack Campbell joining us in the second hour of the show. Add the latest in the Durant saga, what the Raptors are willing to give up for Kevin Durant. And speaking of sagas, more from Canada's soccer and its players. Welcome back. But we start with Jesse, Biggie, and first things first, day one back. Let's do this. Jonas Valanciunas. One second. Welcome back. Sounded awkward. That's okay. Weird. Yeah. Maybe that's a fitting welcome back. Hit it one more time. What happened there? there? Uh, Hold on. It's like localized. Yeah. Yeah. There's something. That's fine. No problem. Let's see if this one works. There you go, baby. Welcome back, I got Timmy. you back. Mine works. Welcome back. Yours doesn't. Back on the little <laughs> desk, and they're treating you. This, I, I will, I'm going to say something, Jesse, to management, okay? I, I, got, I got your back. I, I got a new chair. Though. Oh, you got a new chair. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, it's very, very nice. Nice. Uh, uh, I appreciate it. I would greatly. suggest on a day like today, we move on from the chair and the lack of use of the... I just wanted to welcome you back because it's pretty... Hold on. Yeah, okay. We haven't fixed it. Okay. Uh, all right. And welcome get back. to the news of the day because there is so much to talk bit, about today. Just a little bit. We're going to begin oh. with the Toronto Blue Jays, who fired manager Charlie Montoyo today and announced that bench coach John Schneider will be the interim manager until the end of the season. The Jays snapped a four-game losing streak with a win over the Phillies last night, but of course have lost nine of their last 11 games. GM Ross Atkins addressed the move a short time ago. I truly wanted this to work with Charlie and wasn't able to make that happen. I'm extremely disappointed uh, in where we are. I think we are better than how we have played. There's a lot of good individual things happen and I think we can be playing better as a team. Having said that, this is a collective setback and and ultimately that starts with me. Uh, I'm the one that needs to be the most accountable for that and I have a great deal of respect for Charlie Montoya. And when this team is winning, 
he is going to have been a huge part of that, and I will ensure that he knows that. Taking some responsibility was GM Ross Atkins. What was your reaction to today's news, Timmy? I'll be honest, I was a little shocked at the timing. I thought that given what had transpired over the last little while, and more specifically uh, what they had to do in Virginia, supporting mm -hmm. uh, their first base coach and his family, I thought we might wait till the All-Star break for this to happen. But there are whispers out there that given the fact that they had won that first game and maybe could go on a little bit of a run here with the Royals apparently missing lots of people when they come to Canada given the COVID protocols, that Jay's management had already moved on from Charlie Montoyo and were worried that he could go on a little bit of a run here. Because let's face it, there are a couple of times when the audience has asked us to hit the panic button and the team has responded. <laughs> so and, it's our fault. And they might have been in the process of doing that again. So it looks like the Jays wanted to make this move. Now, we heard about philosophical differences. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was between Charlie and management or just the idea of Charlie Montoyo as manager of this team and what John Schneider, who is now the interim manager of this team, will bring to the table. But there was obviously something that had changed between yeah. what was seemingly a great relationship between management and Charlie Montoyo and the team after last year and coming that one game away from making the postseason and whatever had happened on that road trip and in the first 90 or so games of this year because yeah. this was made to shake up the room. Yeah. And whether you pin this all on Charlie Montoya, whether you pin this all on management, or whether you look at this roster and say, listen, there are pieces here that have underperformed. And some of the biggest – Bo Bichette has an on-base percentage of 303. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hasn't played to the expectation that most people have for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. They're missing Marcus Simeon and what he brought to the table last year. And they just signed a pitcher to a monster deal who had been one of the most consistent pitchers in all of the American League who's pitching to like a 538 ERA. There are, there are a lot of things that haven't lived up to where they were supposed to live up to to this point. And I think what we saw was Charlie Montoya just paid the price for that. Yeah, I think that I the thing that I struggle with a little bit here is that you, you are now promoting uh, a voice that is already in the dugout, already in the clubhouse, and it's going to be inter interesting to see if anything changes because it's not as if the, the players weren't trying. You would assume that, you know, getting paid what they get paid, the professionals, they were trying to perform, but they were not performing under Charlie Montoyo. So how does that switch just flip with a new voice or at least someone being promoted from within because that that's the thing that I'm kind of struggling with. What else here. are they going to do? I mean, change the roster. And that, I think, is proving to be harder than probably could have been foreseen. Otherwise, they would have made changes to the roster to this point already, I would have thought. So, so uh, sorry, I'm confused. No, there's, uh, there's, there's nothing really. If you're not going to make moves to the roster, this is, this is what you have to do. Oh, okay. But I'm confused as to... What changing the voice when there's a voice that's already in the clubhouse, how is that going to get the players going? How is that going to improve Vladdy's average? How is that going to improve Bo right. on-base percentage? Because they're already trying. There's, is it accountability? But what does that mean? They're professionals, or at least they should be. So what, what is it? how do you do it, is my question. Yeah, I, I think that there's a reason why I brought the stat to the table earlier today, but for those who didn't join us at around 3 p.m. Eastern when we first started yeah, the show, yeah. um, 
There's a stat out there, and since 2015, this is now the 12th team to fire their manager in season. So you've got 12 teams. Only two of them have had a winning record, and one of them is the Philadelphia Phillies, who they face tonight with Rob Thompson. Shout out! <laughs> the man who became the first ever Canadian to coach, to manage a team on his home and native land soil. But there are only two teams of the 11 previous to have a winning record. This is one of them, and they're still playing, so there's no guarantee of that with the rest of the season. None of them made the playoffs. When you make this move, you believe that there is more in the room, and more often than not, in Major League Baseball history, at least recent Major League Baseball history, that hasn't been there. And the reason why a lot of teams don't do it is because they don't have their pick of the litter. Right. So John Schneider has been with this team for a long Great time. Point. He, he has been with this group for a long time. He won in 2017 in the Florida State League. He won in 2018 with that vaunted and famous uh, New Hampshire Fisher Cat squad that had guys like Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Santiago Espinal, Jordan Romano. They were all on that Eastern League championship team. And what I think they believe is that John Schneider might be able to get more mm. out of those guys that he's known for a long time than Charlie Montoyo was getting out of them. And I think that you threw something in there that I believe is lost in the world today, and that is accountability. And what management was saying was, this team hasn't played well enough considering what we think is in that clubhouse, yeah. and there needs to be some sort of accountability. And like it or not, world, Twitter, every once in a while, good people have to pay for things that might not be their fault. Mm -hmm. But there needs to be accountability. And I think that's what happened with Charlie Montoyo today, is that the Jays said, this isn't good enough for all to hear, that it's abundantly clear what the expectations are for this team and that they weren't meeting it. And that's why Charlie Montoyo is out. Jeff Blair and Ken Rosenthal, the man who broke the news, coming up a little bit later in the show. The crazy thing is, we did have a show earlier to address the Charlie Montoyo situation. It's also NHL free agency day. So they kind of buried, the Jays tried to pull a fast one at everybody and bury it in a news dump, but that didn't happen. It is a busy day in NHL free agency, which officially began at noon Eastern time, but we're still waiting on a couple of the biggest names. We know Johnny Gaudreau is not going back to Calgary. But he remains unsigned. The Devils and Islanders are reportedly the leading contenders for the New Jersey native. And Nazem Kadri, who might be the second best forward in this free agent class, also remains unsigned. The Ottawa Senators made a huge move, signing Claude Giroux to a three-year deal worth $6.5 million per season. The seven-time All-Star has plenty of ties to the Capital Region. And the move comes on the heels of Ottawa, adding Alex Debrinkit and Cam Talbot as well things happening in the nation's capital. It's been a busy couple days for the Oilers. They signed Jack Campbell to a five-year deal with an AAV of $5 million. Edmonton also re-signed Evander Kane to a four-year deal with an AAV of $5.125 million and defenseman Brett Kulak to a four-year $11 million deal. With Campbell out of the picture, the Leafs, of course, added Matt Murray yesterday in a trade with the Sens, and today they signed goalie Ilya Samsonov to a one-year deal worth $1.8 million. Toronto also signed forwards Nicholas Obey-Kubel and Adam Gaudet to one-year deals. 
Meanwhile, the Leafs are losing Ilya Mikheyev. Soup man. Who signed a four-year, $19 million deal. Get that bread to go with the soup. Hey, I like it, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> with the Canucks, uh, Mikheyev's deal has an annual cap hit of $475 million. The Carolina Hurricanes. You think it's a lot? Yeah, it's a lot. You made a, you made a noise there. Uh, Brent Burns. Going to Carolina in a trade with the Sharks. Burns has three years and $24 million remaining under contract. San Jose will retain one-third of Burns' remaining salary. And perhaps the last domino to fall in the NHL goalie carousel, Darcy Kemper, yes. has signed a five-year, $26-and-a-quarter-million-dollar deal Oof. with the Washington Capitals. That's another noise. That's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Annual cap hit of five-and-a-quarter-million dollars. So... Given all of that, where would you like to begin, Timmy? I think with the two biggest names of this free agency, we're going to go to all of the Canadian teams and we will work through all of them, the machinations that have gone on here. However, uh, Frank Saravelli, over the last little while, in fact, uh, this was just tweeted at 5.04 p.m. Eastern Time. Never know what to make of certain things you hear, but the rumored offer involving the Columbus Blue Jackets and Johnny Gaudreau absolute whopper seven years at 12 million that's a whopper with million. cheese right there interestingly same total was what I reported on the table in Calgary would be quite the twist so as of right now 12 million. it seemed like the favorites to land Johnny Gaudreau were the New Jersey Devils in and around his home. He was raised in New Jersey, though, near the shore, which mm -hmm. is closer to Philly than where the New Jersey Devils are. that geography. A little geography there. here. Nice. I, I learned it from watching Jersey Shore. <laughs> Jim Tan Laundry. <laughs> However, um, it seems like Columbus gets into the mix. And, I, like, is that just a money grab? But if not, why not take the money grab at home? In Calgary, but then again, I guess you're trying to get closer Countries. to home in the United States and the East Coast. Uh, this is just an interesting twist to what has already been. Like, listen, I don't know if Johnny Gaudreau will ever find what he found in Calgary. There, there is a part of me that, and I know that everyone in Calgary is being super nice to a guy that put in time in their city and fell in love with Calgary. I don't know if he'll ever find what he got in Calgary with Daryl Sutter and with that top line. They put up monster numbers this year. 115 points. He was tied for second in the National Hockey League. I Listen, Jack Hughes is going to be good. Nico Heischer is good. Put him on the wing of one of those two guys, they'll probably put up some numbers, but that's not Kachuk and Lindholm. I'm sorry. I think when Johnny Gaudreau looks back at all this, he might rue the day that he walked out the door in Calgary, but if you listen to everyone, he did it for the right reasons. Family. He did it for family. I just wonder what it'll be in either one of those places. Never mind Columbus. Don't make me walk down that road. As for Nazem Kadri, where he ends up and what number will be in front of his salary will be very interesting. Uh, we're going to talk to Pierre Maguire, who whispered in my ear a little bit earlier, maybe Colorado's still in That's on Nazem Kadri. So wild. we'll figure that out. Unlimited money. Unlimited money in Colorado. Uh, where do the Flames go from here? It's a master class right now. Yeah, I'm going to tell you right yeah. now. Uh, the Flames and where they go is real interesting because I'm hearing too much about Matthew Kachuk and what his future is going to be and whether or not they can walk to the end of his contract year here 
and figure out what he does. Because what happened right here was Calgary just got Chris Bosh. Where Chris Bosh walked out the door and DeMar DeRozan had to say, I got you. And in the end, he didn't really have him. Like, are you going to a complete rebuild in Calgary, or can you get in on something else? Brad Treliving might have the hardest job of any GM right now in the National Hockey League, and that includes Kyle Dubas, that includes Ken Holland. Having Johnny Gaudreau just walk out and get nothing back from it puts the Calgary Flames in a very tough spot. He has said from the start, the the priorities in Calgary were re-signing both of them, mm-hmm. and we might be in a situation. There's there's too much smoke here around the future of Kachuk that if you walked to a spot where you may lose Kachuk and Gaudreau, I don't think Treliving can live with that. I think I think he has to start thinking about Matthew. Are you signing on the dotted line right now? And if you're not, we might have to look at a deal. It's just crazy that one player making a decision when I mean he's earned the right to do this in free agency, but one player and the effect that that could have on the organization moving forward. You could turn this into, like, it could go sideways pretty quickly considering what happens with Kachuk. Look at the difference between where the Edmonton Oilers are right now in this very moment and where the Calgary Flames are right now in this very moment, and it seems like, like eons apart. And maybe that last shift that Johnny Gaudreau had with the Calgary Flames is a picture of things to come for both of those franchises in the Battle of Alberta. I apologize, Calgary. Well, you mentioned the Oilers, the Oilers there. Are they better now than they were when they got swept by the Colorado Avalanche? That depends on what you think of Jack Campbell and the signing. I, I think Jack Campbell is an upgrade on what the Edmonton Oilers had on in goal last year and into the playoffs. However, you can look at the two seasons that were Jack Campbell before January 1st and after January 1st and make an argument that the Leafs walked away at the right time. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't know what they're going to do to replace him, but if you're just talking strictly about the Edmonton Oilers, you have to figure out which goal you just signed five years and $5 million per. Is it the one that was among the very best in the National Hockey League for the first half of the season? or the one from January 2nd onwards, because he was around 50 in all those marks among NHL goaltenders. And that was the problem with Jack Campbell in Toronto. And we'll talk to him. We'll see if there was more to it a little later on in the show. But I believe that somewhere between those two numbers is the real Jack Campbell. Mm-hmm. And if the, if the Oilers get the higher side of the real Jack Campbell... They're a legit Stanley Cup contender with all of that talent. On that note, here's Ken Holland on what is turning into a a real Stanley Cup window, as Timmy alluded to, for the Edmonton Oilers. I believe that we're in the Stanley Cup window. Um, Certainly, I'm making decisions to... uh, to try to um, give us the best opportunity to, you know, to, to compete for the Stanley Cup. The goal is to compete for a championship, and you know, it's, you don't can't wave a magic wand at it. It's 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 got to you sort you got to build it. Yeah, so he's thinking the same thing, but obviously he has to be thinking the same thing because they just made a run, and the entire city is moving forward like they are legit Stanley Cup contenders. And I believe that this offseason and so far, listen, 
We heard they were going to be aggressive going into the day. I think they've done good work. I think yeah. They've done really good work. They kept Kane at an enviable number. I know it's a longer-term deal, and we'll have to see if it's the Evander Kane that showed up for, you know, 50-some-odd games in Edmonton. I hope so. Or the rest of his career. Yeah. Like, he's shown flashes of being absolutely brilliant. And if he can continue what he – if he learned his lesson, that's a wonderful signing at that number. And if Jack Campbell is the upside Jack Campbell and not the downside Jack Campbell, I think the Oilers did wonderful work today. Whole first half of the year we were talking about Jack Campbell as a Vesna candidate. The, yeah. the entire first half of the year. So take from that what you will. Uh, but Campbell obviously leaves the Leafs, and the Leafs are going with Murray and Samsonov in goal. What do you think of that new tandem for the blue and white? That's a hell of a gamble for Kyle. Like the, the one thing that that shook me as I read all of the reaction to the Matt Murray deal on the Twittersphere, even among blogs and journalists, was the idea that Kyle Dubas somehow didn't know that his future was on the line with whatever goaltending decision he made. When you see what Jack Campbell got, they simply couldn't afford Jack Campbell at that number and that term. So they had to look elsewhere. Look around. Vili Huso? Gorgiev, like, who do you think? Toronto Maple Leaf fans, I beg of you, tell me, other than Marc-Andre Fleury, who everyone's going to send, but wasn't going anywhere mm. because he had already talked to Billy Guerin about his future in Minnesota and whether or not he liked it there, give me the other name that would have worked here under the Leafs' salary cap. It's They're just not out there. So what the Leafs did was they gambled, and Dubas knows full well what he's doing. He's hoping a former first-round pick in Sam Sonoff or a former two-time cup champ in Matt Murray finds it in Toronto, or he'll probably lose his job. That's the gamble that was made here, and I guarantee you Kyle Dubas knows that he had to make that, and this was the best that he could come up with. Yeah, I mean, the, the argument that I've heard, you know, that I've seen on social media is that if you're going to pay Matt Murray what you're now paying Matt Murray, why not just give a little bit of that extra money to Jack Campbell, who's a known commodity? It seems like his teammates like him. Uh, but to your point, I think a real thing that was sticking out for the Leafs is, is the term. It's the term. The term is probably more important here than the money, if you really boil it down, because he's had injury concerns of his own. Right. Right. So, and he's had ups and downs of his own. Yeah. Right. Like he he has not been consistently a great goaltender in the National Hockey League yet. Mm -hmm. Do you think he's going to be there? That's what the Edmonton Oilers are banking on. And the Toronto Maple Leafs looked at it and said, maybe we can try with the former two two time right. Stanley Cup winner who's been basically a less than 900 save percentage goalie over the last few years. <laughs> Well, Matt Murray coming over from the nation's capital, and uh, suddenly, whoa, doctor, are the Sens playoff contenders? The Sens did some of the best work of the week. Like, oh, go, go back to yeah. masterclass. But it's also cap space. Like, this is, there's no rockets to this science here, okay? There was cap space, and the teams that had cap space were able to do business that the other teams couldn't. And the reason that happened, for those who are, are forgetting here, Edmonton, Toronto, Tampa, Colorado, all these teams were faced with a cap that didn't move. 
And the one million that it moved this year was not significant enough to make any sort of difference. The Ottawa Senators did great work because they had the cap space to get it done. The Carolina Hurricanes, who might not be done, did some solid work because they had cap space here. But I love it when the Ottawa Senators are a factor when it comes to days like this for a positive reason. And it feels like there's some... And listen, Pierre Maguire is going to join us uh, in this opening hour. Mm -hmm. He spent some time in Ottawa. It feels like there's some real, real progression there. And that the market knows it, sees it, and is excited by it. Never mind the new arena deal. Like, the Melnick daughters doing work <laughs> in their short time as the leaders of this franchise. And, it, and listen, Pierre Dorian's been there the entire time. So he's obviously a big part of it, and we'll talk to him. Uh, in our second hour. So, Sens fans, we got you covered. Yeah. We have got Pierre Maguire, who knows the team pretty well, and we got Pierre Dorian, the general manager of the team, coming up. But I love when the Senators are relevant because it makes for another Canadian team right there in the mix. Battle of Ontario. It's back, baby. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> All coming right, up, fine. Jeff Blair <laughs> on what happened with the Toronto Blue Jays, Charlie Montoyo, and John Schneider moving forward. Pierre Maguire on signing season and the aforementioned Ottawa Senators. And we got Pierre Dorian, Jack Campbell coming up on this edition of Tim and Friends right here on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. What a day, kids. What a day. Free agency is officially started and we already have some breaking news. Claude Giroux, he is now an Ottawa Senator, guys. Ilya Samsonov for the Toronto Maple Leafs alongside Matt Murray. Andrew Kopp to the Detroit Red Wings is a five-year deal, 5.625. Vancouver signed Curtis Lazar, it's a three-year deal. Uh, lots of players finding new homes. Expectations this year were that the Blue Jays would be one of the best teams in the American League and go to the World Series. I don't think anybody around this team was happy with the way things had played out. A four-game sweep by the Seattle Mariners, I think, pretty much did in Charlie Montoya because they won last night. Ask yourself, is it surprising? Absolutely not. Right to four games above 500, and to have the, the first half that they've had, you sort of saw this coming. I think we're just not playing to our potential, um, you know, and I see some small opportunities to help that, and this was one of them. So I, I, I see a lot of individual things that are positive, and some individual areas where we can improve, uh, but ultimately moving that forward collectively um, is, this was one of the things that I felt that we can do as we continue to look to other opportunities to play better as a team and play to our full potential. Charlie Montoyo is out in Toronto. John Schneider slides over from bench coach to interim manager for the rest of the season as Charlie becomes the first major league manager fired this late into a season with his team still in a playoff spot since Ned Yost of the Brewers in 2008. Here to help us break it down is the one and only Jeff Blair of Blair and Barker fame from the Rogers Center. Mr. Blair, welcome back to Tim and Friends. Good to be back with you guys. I thought you'd forgotten about me. No chance, Mr. Blair. I listen to you all the time on my way in, so how could I forget about you? Uh, were you surprised by this? Yeah. Uh, well, let me rewind. Surprised that the Jays were go fired Charlie Montoyo. I think as the season went on, we started to see that it was a possibility. I thought, though, if it was going to happen, you may have seen it a little earlier, that Chicago-Milwaukee road trip. 
And then, of course, as you get close to the All-Star break, you're thinking is, okay, maybe you'll let Charlie run it out through the All-Star break and then start afresh. But as several people pointed out to me, this is a weak part of the schedule. Philly doesn't have a lot of their players here. Kansas City's going to have basically a triple-A team because apparently nobody in their clubhouse got the note about getting vaxxed. So as a person pointed out to me and said, think about this, Jeff. What if you go 5-1 and one against these two teams? Then you're going to fire the manager? And I thought, no, that's a valid point. So at the start of the year, I thought Charlie would get the whole year. Uh, but, you know, look, this team is barely, and yes, it is early. They're still barely hanging on to a playoff spot right now. And it's a sign of how high expectations are for this team. Yeah, it is now abundantly clear how high the expectations were for this team. What do you think were the, the micro points that led to this situation? I mean, I think there's a gener general sense around this team that they haven't played up to their own expectations. But I think the front office started to get a sense that some of those issues that may have been temporary we're becoming long-term and you know you look at the past I would say the past three weeks look at some of the things you've seen happen in the field uh, you know last night I'm not saying that the play the challenge play involving Vladdy was the last straw or anything heck for all I know Ross probably had this decision made before then but the team did not look good on the field they weren't playing well they weren't cohesive and I kind of you know there was an incident involving Teoscar Hernandez during the last homestand where Charlie benched him. Now, we're led to believe that he was benched. Teoscar told people he thought he was benched, but that was never made public. And I know there were guys in the clubhouse that are saying, look, if, if you're going to bench a guy, part of being benched is letting people know that it was a benching, right? This is right. The, the idea behind it, sending a message. So I think there were a lot of little sort of micro issues that just started to come together. And then, of course, you go into Seattle, you get swept. And at that point, I think, you know, Ross's hand was probably, probably forced. There's, there's this transition that a lot of old school sports folk like you and I have talked about in the past where you go from holding hands to holding accountability right and I always looked at Charlie as that transition guy in Toronto like I I knew he was going to get the opportunity with the job that he did to be the transition guy as well but if there ever missteps like we saw in the last little while that there was going to be a change and someone else would be brought in. Do you see it that way too, Jeff, where Charlie was the perfect guy to take him from whatever the rebuild was going to be, 67 wins to now, but that maybe there was always going to be a guy who took him to the next step? Uh, absolutely. Listen, I used to, I mean, I for the entire length of Charlie's tenure, I'd find myself wondering at times, is this the guy that I can see taking the Blue Jays to the World Series? Never mind going to the playoffs. That's not a goal for this team. The goal for this team is to win a World Series with Vladdy and Bo. Let's be perfectly clear. That's ownership's goal. That's management's goal. And I never, I could never look at Charlie and say, yeah, that is the guy that can do this. Like you, I, I thought Charlie would be the guy that lays the foundation, and then somebody else would come along and, and finish it off. But he... To be fair here, and listen, all managers are polarizing. It seems like you and I read enough of the other side of the polarizing stuff on Twitter over the last few years. For all that, 
Did he not do a pretty damn good job taking this team from the 67 wins to the team that you have now? Yeah, listen, I know Ross Atkins said today that when this team wins, Charlie is going to deserve part of that success. And he said, I'm going to make sure he knows it. And I know a lot of people kind of rolled their eyes and thought, okay, this is just eyewash. But let's think about Charlie Montoyo. You know, regardless of how much role a manager actually has these days in what goes on in the field, this is a guy who got a team that was basically a road team during the COVID era to within one game of the playoffs. During the COVID-shortened season, he got the team into the playoffs. Oh, and by the way, he will go down as Vladdy Jr.'s first major league manager. And what did he do? Well, he took Vladdy, and he had a hand in it. I'm not saying it's all just him, but he was the guy who was in the dugout when Vladdy went from being a 45 or 50-pound overweight hitter that didn't have a position to a 45 or 50-pound overweight hitter who couldn't really play third base to an everyday first baseman. So if you're going to blame Charlie for a lot of stuff that wasn't in his control, I think you have to give him credit for that. He, I mean, so, the soccer, soccer managers have this phrase, they talk about blooding a player, right? Yeah. Breaking him into the game. And Charlie Montoyo, I think, deserves a lot of credit for being the guy that helped Vladdy and Bo, by extension, Bo Bichette as well, break into the game. Now, again, you got to give the players credit. I'm not taking anything away from yep. them. Yep. But Charlie created the environment here, and he, he does deserve credit for that. John Schneider's had a lot of success at, at every level. Does he get a real shot here? I mean, I think he does. He's, you know, he's been an organizational favorite. Uh, he's basically the guy they put, they put in charge of the crown jewels, right? They, they, I mean, they must like you when they say, we got two players who are generational players. Oh, and by the way, you're going with them along every level. So, yeah, he's going to get every chance. I like John Schneider. He's going to be, he's going to bring a different message than Charlie or a different, a different type of messaging than Charlie. He's still, I don't think he's necessarily a hard ass. He's, he's a fun guy, and, uh, but, but he also, uh, he has a way of, how would I describe it? He has a way of taking the difficult messages that need to be put through to professional athletes and doing it in a way where they don't want to slug them, but they still get the message. I've never forgotten about you, Jeff Flair. Never. I know you haven't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, appreciate you doing this. Enjoy the game tonight because there is still a game tonight. 707 first pitch Blue Jay Central comes your way 630 Eastern time. Merci beaucoup, Mr. Blair. Thank you, my friend. Be well. You too. Uh, there's Jeff Blair at the Rogers Center getting you set for the Jays and Phillies on this the day that Charlie Montoyo has been fired by the Jays, replaced by John Schneider. All right. Uh, he mentioned something in that. That he did. About the Kansas City Royals. And I had mentioned that there were some whispers around the same idea that maybe the Jays were making sure that this business was done before the Jays get on a roll. But I didn't realize just how shorthanded the Kansas City Royals will be coming to town later this week. Ten players are not vaccinated and will miss the trip to Toronto. Ten players, including Andrew Benatendi, who of course was perhaps a, a trade target of the Blue Jays, a trade target of other teams in the American League East. But that this development certainly changes that, you would think, because he can't play in Toronto. Well, he could play in Toronto, he just couldn't play anywhere else. Yeah, <laughs> right.
Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so Andrew Benintendi, who is one of those left-handed bats that people kept throwing into the Jays mix, uh, obviously one of ten players that will not make the trip to Toronto. I mean, that's a significant portion. As Jeff said, they're basically going to be fielding a Triple A squad when they come to town. So it might be a good omen for John Schneider and the start of the John Schneider era. No question. Um, speaking of good omens, I got a little Photoshop for you quickly right. before we go to break. Uh, and you were talking about the Jersey Shore off the top. That's how you learned your geography. Uh, Vinny sent the professional as he is sending this beauty in. Jim Tan Laundry. That's, Timmy D. That's, uh, that's not bad. And I don't know if there was ever a show that annoyed me more. Than Jersey you didn't show. like the yelling? Oh my God! I Cabs are here. Remember that? That was tip. Donovan was Bennett Pauly and I D. used to used to argue more about the Kardashians and Jersey Shore than anything on planet Earth. Was that the first like true reality? I think so. Yeah. They cursed us. Yeah. Time for a break. When we come back. By the way, the first true reality show. Survivor. Sports. No, nice. You know what I'm talking about, nice. kid. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, free agency dropped today. A flurry of big deals, big exits. We break it all down with Pierre Maguire next right here. Tim and Friends continues on this crazy Wednesday. Day one of free agency in the book, so let's break it down with someone who has seen this day come and go a couple of different times from a couple of different angles, and more importantly, a member of the Bald Brethren. Pierre Maguire, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thanks for doing this, as always. Awesome to visit with you, Tim. Thanks for having me. Uh, he stuck around late, everybody, to do this, so we appreciate you, Mr. Maguire. I, I, I hate the winners and losers on days like this, but it is the business we work in. So let me phrase it a bit of a different way. Do you think one or two teams significantly impacted how good they will be in the last couple of days here? I think the Ottawa Senators deserve a lot of credit, Tim, when you think Think about it. They added Claude Giroux on a digestible contract. They added Cam Talbot in a trade they made with the Minnesota Wild. And they added Alec Dabrinkit the other day at the draft in Montreal. So the Ottawa Senators needed to identify some things going forward. They were able to move Matt Murray's money, which was tremendous. Philip Gustafson, we'll see how that pans out. But Cam Talbot, short term, is a real good fit for Ottawa. And buying out Colin White was huge. But I think the biggest thing is they needed to get a scoring rate winger. They did that with the Brinkett. They needed to identify what they were going to do in goal. I think they've done that with Talbot and moving Murray's money. But I think the big thing now going forward for them is they need to get a right defenseman, preferably a shutdown defenseman that can play with Thomas Shabbat. But the addition of Claude Giroux is a key one for them because now they've got more than enough scoring. You need 250 goals to make the playoffs. Only two teams didn't have that this year, L.A. and Dallas. Everybody else was well over 250. With the addition of Debrinket and also with Giroux, they're well past the threshold of 250 goals. It seems like just the positivity around the aggressiveness in Ottawa has brought like the Sens fans back to life here, Pierre. And I know you spent some time with the franchise. Not a lot of people know a lot about the Melnick daughters and how they impact the franchise. What can you tell us about their leadership and how they've aided and abetted, if at all, what we've seen over the last little while? Well, I think three people deserve a lot of credit. Anna, Olivia, both Melnicks, obviously, and Sheldon Plenter, who's running the estate for Mr. Melnick. And they've done some magnificent things over a short period of time. 
they've opened up some purse strings here so that the team can make some aggressive moves. The Debrickin move in particular, Tim, mm -hmm. when you think about it, it's not $6.4 million. That's the cap hit. It's actually a $9 million payout, and that's in U.S. money. That's substantial. And, you know, you look at some of the potential lines for the Ottawa Senators going forward. The uh, Brinkin can play both left and right side. Obviously, Kachuk, Batherson, and Norris were fantastic last year. But the biggest thing that the Brinkin does is a pure scorer. He had 41 goals twice in his first five years in the league. He's learned a ton playing with Patrick Kane and the Chicago Blackhawks. But I think it's the Melnick family in particular that really deserves a lot of credit here. They want to make this team competitive. They want the fans in Ottawa to have something to cheer for, and I think they've done that this offseason so far. Looks like Pierre Dorian's going to join us a little later on. The Oilers uh, keep Vander Kane. They get Jack Campbell five years, $5 million. Brett Kulak is sticking around. What do you think of Kenny Holland's work today? Very strong. When Kenny first got the job there, he knew he had to get a goaltender. Now he's gotten a goaltender in Jack Campbell, who's a battling type of a goaltender. Uh, he hasn't had a lot of playoff success to date, but that could change, obviously, especially with the puck possession game that Edmonton uh, plays. You look at Brett Kulak. He's really made himself popular for, to Kenny Holland and the coaching staff in Edmonton. And getting a Vander Kane, Tim, at that price point mm -hmm. is just phenomenal work by Kenny Hall. And you can see the passion Kenny still has <laughs> to be a successful management person in the National Hockey League. So I think Kenny Hall's day was tremendous. So the Jack Campbell situation leaves the Leafs uh, looking for goalies. They replace him who got $5 million on the open market with two goalies. that will make around $6.4 million. Um, We'll start with the Oilers side of this. Do you believe Jack Campbell is the guy that we saw at the start of last season, the guy that we saw at the end of last season, or somewhere in between? I think he's somewhere in between. But what I also know is he's a tremendous teammate, and he's not going to be intimidated by the theater. Uh, the most important thing, I think, for Jack Campbell is to go to Edmonton and earn the trust and the respect of its teammates immediately. So that means he can't get off to a pedestrian start, Tim. He's got to have a tremendous start uh, for the Edmonton Oilers, and I believe he has the ability to have that kind of a tremendous start. And once he does that, he will endear himself to his teammates and the fan base, and the game will, will become easier for him as he goes along in his career in Edmonton. You're just giving me segues here because uh, Jack Campbell apparently going to join us on Sportsnet 360 at 6.30 Eastern time. So thanks for the segue. <laughs> Mr. McGuire, the true professional. Uh, all right, let's go to his former team, the Toronto Maple Leafs. As I mentioned, they replace him with two goalies that it seems like a roll of the dice on. You've got Matt Murray and you've got Samsonov from Washington, both of them costing him around $6.4 million. But this seems like a pretty big gamble for a team hoping to find one of those two's former form. Well, I think sense of familiarity matters a lot for the Toronto Maple Leafs and Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe. They obviously had Matt Murray when he played for the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. I think Matt is unbelievably energized. He had a very good finish to the season for the Ottawa Senators. The best thing that probably happened for Matt last year was being sent to the American Hockey League after he cleared waivers. He went to Belleville. He worked with a tremendous goalie coach there in Justin Peters, and I think Justin's really gotten his game back on track. And I think Matt's going to be super energized to play well for the Toronto Maple Leafs. In terms of Samsonov, we're going to see how this plays out because it wasn't working for him in Washington. 
Um, and, and this is a different kind of a situation, obviously, here in Toronto. There's a lot of pressure, and everybody knows that. But if they can become a reliable 1A, 1B type of a situation, that could help Toronto. But I still think the Toronto Maple Leafs need to add a little bit more on defense. But if they can get some key saves from both those goaltenders, I think it's going to be positive. But Matt Murray, I think, is going to be better than advertised for Toronto. Where do the Flames go from here, Pierre? Great question. And I said this morning when I was on the panel doing the signing day, one of the first things I'd do is get Matthew Kachuk signed. I think he's critically important now, obviously, with Goudreau gone. And, and the other one is Mangiapane, and I think they've got to get him signed as well. Those are two critical components for the Calgary Flames and Brad Tree Living. Um, but this is, this is a tough one to digest, I'm sure, for the fan base in Calgary because Johnny Goudreau meant so much to the organization. I was saying earlier that I'm not sure Johnny Goudreau won't look back and say, maybe I shouldn't have left Calgary. It's such a great position for him to be on that line with those two players if they were able to stay together. Obviously, he made this decision for family uh, reasons, and that's what we've heard from all parties on this. But it just seems to me like it was such a perfect fit for him in Calgary. Do, do you feel like there's another place that might be able to do something like this for him? Because it feels like the Devils are the favorite right now. The Devils, I believe, are the favorite yeah. right now, Tim. And here's another thing, and I think you're on to something. I had a chance to watch Calgary play a lot, both in a scouting role and obviously when the Ottawa Senators were playing against Calgary. And the thing that stood out about their organization was obviously the heaviness with which they played, but the way that top line with Elias Lindholm and, and obviously Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Goudreau played, that line was just phenomenal to watch. It was arguably the best line in the National yeah. Hockey League. If he were to go to New Jersey, I could see him having unbelievable chemistry with Nico Heischer. I could see him having unbelievable chemistry with Jack Hughes. I could see him having unbelievable chemistry with Dawson Mercer. So I don't think that's going to be a problem for Johnny Goudreau. The difference is Calgary's probably a little bit closer to competing for a Stanley Cup uh, than maybe the New Jersey Devils are. But I would say this, if he does end up in New Jersey, um, they're a team that's trending upwards. They're not trending downwards, and he would help them a lot right. in so many different situations, especially selling tickets, and that's something they need to do in New Jersey. Yeah, and they got some talent down the middle. You put that on the wing, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, are you surprised that Kadri and Goudreau aren't signed yet? I'm very surprised. Yeah. Um, from what I understand, it could be that Colorado's still trying to find a way to get some more money so they can try to keep Nazem. Um, and in terms of Johnny... Anthony Stewart made a good point on our panel. You know, he, he really does like Calgary. He loved the fan base there. And I think he's trying to show them some respect just by not announcing a deal. Now, we'll see whether that comes uh, to fruition or not. But it's really important to understand that um, with John and Goodrow in particular, he's leaving a boatload of money on the table. He can't sign for eight years yeah. anywhere else. He could only sign for eight years in Calgary. So they were offering him $10 million a year. So he's leaving at least $10 million on the table because he's only signing for seven years, and I don't think he's going to get more than $10 million anywhere else. Uh, just me or did the two, cup, the two cup finalists in English uh, pull off a little bit of a master class here, Pierre? I, Tim, I can't believe it. So you think about the Colorado Avalanche. They're able to keep Josh Manson. They're able to keep Val Nachuskin. They're able to keep Arturi Lekkinen. That's phenomenal. And still the potential of maybe get Nazem Kadri. I don't know if they can or not, but maybe. And then you look at Tampa. 
Sergachev resigns, Eric Chernak resigns, Anthony Sorelli resigns, and they lose Ryan McDonough in a trade the other day to Nashville. They also lose Jan Ruda to Pittsburgh, and they're able to sign Ian Cole, who's a two-time Stanley Cup winner. So both those teams have done a masterful job in staying relevant in terms of the cup chase. Speaking of masterful, sir, thank you very much for sticking around and doing this with us. Tim, any time for you. My pleasure. Thank you. There is Pierre McGuire, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Uh, his former colleague, Pierre Dorian, is going to join us next. And we're hearing rumors. Looks like Max Patch ready to Carolina, along with Brent Burns. The Hurricanes doing some work. We'll check it all and get to the reaction of Charlie Montoya. Busy day here on Tim and Friends. It continues next. Tim and Friends, time for Tim. Now, time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs, back here. Hour number two, Tim and Friends, although it's probably hour number four of Tim and Friends. Who's counting? <laughs> yeah, but who's counting? We've been on since 3 p.m. <laughs> Eastern time to give you the latest and greatest in the sports world, including a day that has had the start of NHL free agency. Jack Campbell, Pierre Dorian will both join us in this hour to talk about that. And Ken, Res Ken Rosenthal, excuse me, ahead of Blue Jays Central. That's right, kids. In case you missed it, we did come on the air at 3 p.m. Eastern because the Toronto Blue Jays have fired general, excuse me, their manager, Charlie Montoyo, in his four years as manager, Montoyo put together a even 500 record. Bench coach John Schneider will take over managerial duties on an interim basis. Here's GM Ross Atkins on what Schneider brings to his new role. John obviously has a lot of history of the organization. Has, not only has it been ingrained into our player development system with well-established relationships with our players and staff, he's also been integral into in-game preparation, in, or excuse me, pre-game preparation, in-game decision-making and communication, post-game decision-making and communication. So it's a natural step for us. Whirlwind day, uh, bittersweet obviously. Um, have all the respect in the world for Charlie Montoyo uh, as a baseball coach, manager, uh, and as a human being. So um, bittersweet, uh, but this is something that I've been looking forward to for a long time and excited to uh, do this with this organization that I've known for over 20 years. So uh, looking forward to the opportunity. There's things we can all do better. Obviously, players in the field feel it, um, especially on a day like today. And, um, you know, just to, trying to stay ahead of it as a, as a coaching staff collectively to try to really just, you know, keep going forward and, and uh, let the players be the best version of themselves. I've been very fortunate to be around this organization for as long as I have. So being able to hopefully kind of put my stamp on it a little bit with the other guys that are, you know, on the coaching staff is what is what I'm looking forward to and and hopefully sharing those with the players as well. Those those good times. It has been a busy day in NHL free agency, which officially began at noon Eastern, but we're still waiting on a couple of big names. We know Johnny Gaudreau's not going back to Calgary, but he remains unsigned. Now, Devils and Islanders were the early leading contenders for the New Jersey native. The Jackets have entered the conversation over the last little while with reportedly a monster deal while Nazem Kadri, who could be the second best, depending on who you talk to the best, forward in this free agent class, also remains unsigned for now. The Ottawa Senators made a huge move, signing Claude Giroux 
to a three-year deal worth $6.5 million per season. Seven-time All-Star has plenty of ties to the Capital Region and has an off-season home in the Ottawa area. The move comes on the heels of Ottawa, adding Alex Debrinkat and Cam Talbot. Also hearing Bruce Garriott tweeting in the last couple moments, in fact, just before the start of the hour that the Sens have received a second-round pick in 2024 from Washington for Connor Brown. Now, there were rumors around Connor Brown. Does that mean that the Sens aren't done and perhaps they have a little bit more room to add? I don't know. Defenseman to the mix? Mm. Guess who we can talk to about this, Jeff? Who's that? The general manager of the team, Come Pierre on. Dorian, is slated to talk to us. I don't know if this changes it. I don't know if he's on a trade call. <laughs> we will figure it all out. But it appears as though after the signing of Giroux and the trades to acquire Cam Talbot and Alex Debrinkat, there is a Connor Brown deal on the table, which, to be fair, was rumored in the days heading up to today. No question. All right, it has been a busy couple of days for the Oilers. They signed Jack Campbell to a five-year deal worth an average annual value of $5 million. Edmonton also re-signed Evander Kane. Four-year deal, look at this, $5.125 million. And Brett Kulak to a four-year $11 million deal. Got it good and since you understood with Campbell out of the picture, the Toronto Maple Leafs needed to add a goalie. Yes, they got Matt Murray yesterday in a trade with Pierre Dorian. And today they signed goalie Ilya Samsonov to a one-year deal worth $1.8 million. Toronto also signed forwards Nicolas Obey-Kubel and Adam Gaudet to one-year deals today. The Leafs are losing Ilya Mikheyev. He signed a four-year $19 million contract with the Canucks. Mikheyev's deal has an annual cap hit of $4.75 million, which is probably the reason why he's no longer a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Carolina Hurricanes have acquired Brent Burns in a trade with the Sharks. Burns is three years and $24 million remaining on his contract. San Jose will retain one-third of Burns' remaining salary. It's also being rumored that they have picked up Max Pacioretty. That's right, kids. They weren't done. They made a deal with the Golden Knights, acquiring Max Pacioretty and Dylan Coughlin in return for future considerations. This cap space leading to a pretty good player if he can play up to potential. So Golden Knights clear up $8 million in cap space while making that deal. And perhaps the last domino to fall in the NHL goalie carousel, or goalie crunch as it were, Darcy Kemper signs a five-year, $26.25 million deal with the Washington Capitals. That's an annual cap hit of 5.25. So that's where we stand on the goalie crunch. All right. The managing general of one of my winners of the last week, and I'm not just saying that to suck up because he joins me now, but Pierre Dorian joins us on the telephone. Thanks so much for taking time to be with us, Mr. Dorian, on what is a busy day. Uh, pleasure to be with you. Uh, is it is it nice to be on this side of things again? Uh, yes, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> pretty exciting for our fans. Pretty exciting for the whole organization. So, so what made this the right time to be aggressive again? Well, we just felt as an organization, we stockpiled enough picks. We got a deep pool of prospects. It was the this was the time uh, to step forward uh, when we made this plan of a rebuild. Uh, we were looking at this year uh, to target certain free agents, and we knew certain could be available. And I remember uh, about three and a half years ago, 
four and a half years ago that uh, we all knew that Claude Giroux would be available, and he's someone that, as an organization, we've always targeted. Uh, I want to talk about Claude Giroux in a, in a split second, but we're also hearing uh, that you guys have dealt Connor Brown to Washington. Can you confirm and or deny this report? I can't comment until the trade call's done. Okay. But somehow you've got good sources. All right. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, so when you, you mentioned a couple of years ago about Giroux coming home, um, and he's got an off-season home in the area. Uh, when did that start coming to fruition, and when did you feel like that might be an actual possibility? Well, you never know until you get confirmation from the agent. We got that uh, fairly soon after 12 today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's someone we targeted. Uh, it's someone that we just felt would fit in really well with our group. You know, a player of this caliber, uh, it's tough to to pass by. You know, these players don't come along too often. And uh, a lot of times you got to give up a lot to trade for a player of this magnitude. And for us, it was just it was just the right fit. And, you know, with all the intangible that he brings, the character, the skill, uh, you know, we're a team that has him in the greatest on face-offs. Uh, so it's another element. He can play the power play, obviously. He can PK. He can do a lot of things. So it just felt it was the right fit, the right time to try and acquire a player of this night. Too. Are, are guys around the office today getting a little excited about what your top six could look like? Uh, probably the most excited person is our coach. <laughs> He's pretty excited about, you know, uh, who's going to play with whom. You know, uh, he spoke to Alex Brinkett, and Alex has played uh, a lot of left wing, and he actually prefers to play left wing. So I think it, you know, whomever plays with whom, um, we'll leave that up to the coach. But uh, he might be the most excited one, and I think our power play coach could be excited because it looks like we, we're going to have the chance to put out two pretty good units up there. What are the expectations going into a year like this, Pierre? And I know that that's a, a difficult question to answer given where you've been over the last few years, but I think your fans kind of looking, getting sort of excited here would wonder what you'd say to that. Yeah, I think, you no, know, for us, it was always playing meaningful games till the end of the year. Yeah. Obviously, we're a team that was almost 30 points out of the playoffs last year, but we've made significant significant changes uh, in, you know, the three additions we've made, some of the, you know, buyouts we've made, um, but it's more about the additions we made, and uh, for us, it's always trying to get better, and we'll just see what our roster looks like once training camp opens. Uh, we're always looking trying to get better, and then we'll have a better assessment of where we feel we can end up at the end of the year. I know you said that DJ Smith was a little excited about what he has to, to play with, especially with the top six. Uh, what about your situation in net now? You've obviously made some changes. How do you feel about uh, your, your situation in goal? Well, when it comes to our goaltending, I always refer to our, our goaltending coach and obviously um, our minor league goaltending coach. are both very well versed as far as who can, you know, be a good goalie for us, you know, now or in the future. And for us, you know, we're talking about possible free agents uh, bringing in someone um, to play with Anton uh, once uh, we traded Matt Murray. And once I brought Cam's name to the table, it was a no-brainer compared to a lot of other guys on the table. And Bill Guerin had a history with uh, Philip Gustafson, and there's no secret that they're in a bit of a cap crunch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the deal got done pretty quick, and we just feel... bring stability a guy that was an all-star last year a guy the last two years has been you know their number one goalie who brought him to the playoffs uh he's not his play has not declined uh, it's been pretty steady over the last three years we just felt that it was something that uh, for us it was a no-brainer uh, to give us a chance every night to have a goalie that can win us a game with both uh Ken talbot and anton forsberg 
I was going to ask if you guys are done, but I guess there's still trade calls to be made. There could possibly be one trade call to be made today. <laughs> I, I used to spend some time in our nation's capital, Pierre. I, I may have spent some time in and around the market or Elgin Street, but it feels like there's some excitement around this franchise again. Like, are you guys starting to feel your fan base that understandably kind of uh, felt a little separated from the group for the last little while? Are you starting to feel them buying back into what you're doing? Definitely, definitely, we we definitely feel the fan base, especially with some of the moves that we've made. I think our fan base is all seeing, also seeing our young core really maturing and developing. Uh, you know the the steps that uh, you look like uh, Josh Norris took this year. Uh, Brady Kachuk night in night out is one of our better players. Batherson was our best player until he got hurt. Um, Shabbat game is way more complete than it was a few years ago. So you, you look at those guys, and you know you got a budding superstar in Tim Stutzla. Um, you know Joseph was a great addition to the trade deadline. It was unfortunate to see Nick Paul go, but we were all happy that he got great playoff success. So you're putting all these pieces together. You hope to have a healthy Shane Pinto. Uh, we feel we're adding one of the best defensemen outside the NHL in Jake Sanderson. So there's a lot of good pieces here. Um, you know that, but it's all got to come together. It's not going to come overnight, but we've got the pieces. To, to be you know, a team that can contend and hopefully do some damage within a few years. Uh, listen, we understand it's been a very busy day and may or may not be over for you, so we really appreciate you taking the time and talking with us. Perfect. Thanks again for having me on. Anytime, Pierre. Uh, there is the general manager of the Ottawa Senators, Pierre Dorian, here on Tim and Friends, and Jesse Rubinoff. I, I think we know that Connor Brown... Yeah. To Washington. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, like, a lot still going. A lot still going on. Yeah. You, you can't confirm because there's no trade call that is, but, but maybe there's so kind of sort of a confirmation yeah. there that Connor Brown. You asked him about the the. You asked him about how exciting it is around the office. He sounded excited to me. Well, like I mean, honestly, you go through what they went through over the last little while, and then to have the excitement of what happened at the draft and having all of the picks that they've got over the next little while and adding to Brinkat and now adding Claude, mm -hmm. like adding real quality to this team after years of taking away, he can't help but be excited. Like, this is what Pierre Dorian was talking about three years ago when they kept subtracting. Like, just give us a little while. And even Eugene Melnick, when he was saying about this championship window, this is what he was talking about, the start of something like this, where you begin to be aggressive and you begin to add real players to what obviously was a young core. They're starting. All right, uh, time for break. The Toronto Blue Jays have fired manager Charlie Montoyo. John Schneider will take over for the rest of the season. Was it the right move? We'll discuss it with one of the best in the business, Ken Rosenthal, and you, the viewer, ahead of Blue Jays Central. Next, right here on Tim and Friends. Welcome back, kids. The Oilers. Jack Campbell will be joining us in about 10 minutes' time. Ken Rosenthal also joining us shortly. Blue Jays Central coming your way in a few minutes on Sportsnet. This is Jays look to make it two straight against the Phillies in this mini two-game series. But the big news of the day, Charlie Montoyo out as Jays manager. Let's get the thoughts of the broadcast team. Here's Dan Schulman and Pat Tabloid. Gentlemen. 
Tim, with the Blue Jays relieving Charlie Montoyo of his duties today, they have elevated John Schneider, the bench coach, to the role of interim manager for the rest of the season. Schneider, who has managed in the minor leagues for a long time, has been in the Blue Jays organization forever, immediately becomes one of the youngest managers in baseball, older than only Oliver Marmol of the St. Louis Cardinals and Rocco Baldelli of the Minnesota Twins. Again, Schneider... Uh, has been in the Blue Jays organization since 2002 as a player, a coach, a minor league manager, and a major league coach. And the new era uh, is underway here for the Blue Jays. Yeah, and it's a position that John has said that he has waited his whole life to, to get, and unfortunately at the expense of one of his friends in Charlie Montoyo. But uh, he cut his teeth in the minor leagues, played and coached a lot of these kids uh, that the Blue Jays now have on the major league level, and he feels like he is ready to take the next step. He says it's going to be hard. It's going to come fast, and it's mm -hmm. going to be spinning. His head's going to be spinning, but uh, he feels like he's ready for it. And to Tabby's point, John Schneider called it a bittersweet day to see Charlie Montoyo being let go as the way that he, John Schneider, got the job. As Tabby said, he managed a lot of these guys in the minor leagues. Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio, Santiago Espinal, Jordan Romano, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Danny Jansen. Uh, that's a significant part of the core of this team. Yeah, and it's important because you have to know their personalities. And when you spend so much time with them like John Schneider has down in the minor leagues, you grow up with them and you understand their personalities. So when you're doing a ball game and you're, and you're thinking about different moves, Knowing the person inside and out and having a history with them is really going to be helpful. A whirlwind day for John Schneider. Found out about this at about noon local time here in Toronto. He was asked all kinds of questions when he met with the media before the game. Long-term questions, big-picture questions. He did his best to answer all of them, but he said, hey, there's a lot going on today. What I'm thinking about the most is trying to hit Zach Wheeler. That's where his focus is, Tim, tonight. <laughs> Uh, two of the best in the business, Dan Shulman, Pat Tabler, right here on Tim and Friends. And from some of the best in the business to one of the best in the business, Ken Rosenthal of the MLB and Fox and the Athletic joins us now here on Tim and Friends. Thanks for doing this, Ken. Thank you, Tim. What was your uh, immediate reaction to the Jays' news about Charlie Montoyo? Surprise. Yeah. And surprise because of the timing. It's never really a surprise when a team fires its manager when it's going badly. That something that happens in baseball it hasn't happened as much in recent years but this year we've already seen before today two firings what surprised me was that the jays just got through this incredibly difficult stretch of their schedule 41 games in 40 days or 40 and 41 and it's kind of expected that they were going to fade a little bit at the end and then they had the tragic loss of mark Budzinski's daughter the funeral was just two days ago the all-star break is coming up they've got the royals at home this weekend that's an opportunity for them to maybe gain some positive momentum. So you certainly could have waited until the All-Star break. And the other part of this, the other part of the timing that surprises me is that Charlie Montoya just received a one-year extension with options for 24 and 25 on April 1st. Yeah. That was just over three months ago. So if the Jays front office didn't like what they were seeing or had reservations about Montoya going forward, my question would be, well, why did you bring him back and why did you give him an extension? Does that lead you to believe, because for me it feels like maybe the impetus was there to get this done now, and, and given the fact that the All-Star break is so close and that the Royals are basically coming with a triple-A team, maybe this was something that the Jays had in mind for a little while and felt like they needed to do the business now before another run maybe came here. I would agree with that, Tim, and certainly these things rarely 
happen at the spur of the moment, right. snap of a finger. It's something that takes place over time. And Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins were probably considering this for quite a few weeks based on the way the team was playing. And don't get me wrong, team has not played well. And it is quite possible that this will be the best move for the Jays, that they'll take off after this, that John Schneider is the answer. We've seen the opposite things happen with the two firings so far this year. The Phillies did take off yeah. after Rob Thompson took over for Joe Girardi, and the Angels were just the Angels. They played even worse under Phil Nevin than they did under Joe Madden. So I don't rule that out. All of that is fair, and maybe this is the best thing. All I'm saying is it's just an odd time to do it especially given that the extension was signed over three months ago, just yeah. over three months ago. Since 2015, 11 teams have fired their manager in season, now 12. Only two of them have a winning record. One of them is the Phil's Rob Thompson, as you mentioned, and none of them made the playoffs. Um, Ross Atkins referred to this team as not realizing potential. Do you believe that it is in the clubhouse right now, or do you think that they still need to add to this? They need to add. Yeah. They definitely need to add bullpen help. And you might say, well, it's a little early. The trade market isn't yet percolating. The draft is coming up. All true. Last year, they added Adam Simber, and they added another reliever. One was in June, I believe, and the other was early July. The Rowdy Telez trade brought Trevor Richards back. Mm -hmm. So it's possible to make trades at this time of year. It happened just last year for the Jays. It hasn't happened this year for whatever reasons. But they definitely need to add they need to add bullpen help, maybe back of the rotation help, maybe as well, and we've talked about this forever, right, a left-handed hitter to balance the lineup. Yeah, without a doubt, that has been talked about for a while. And maybe, maybe that story comes from what we heard earlier today from the Kansas City Royals. I'm no rocket surgeon, Ken, but 10 of the Royals' 26-man roster is not coming to Canada. That's almost 40%. That's one part of the story. The other part of the story is that one of the names in that list is Andrew Penintendi, a left-handed bat that had been linked not only to the Jays, but other teams in the American League East. Does that change his future and maybe where he goes in this trade market? Absolutely changes it, Tim, because let's say you're the Yankees or the Red Sox, just as two examples. How do you trade for Andrew Benintendi when you know you're coming to Toronto, not just for more regular season games, but you face the possibility of playing the Jays in the postseason as well? Really, any American League team that is a contender would have that concern. So it essentially cuts his market in half. And this was a player that the Royals were looking forward to getting quite a bit for. They still might from a National League team, perhaps, that doesn't have the Jays at Rogers Center on their schedule, but otherwise it's a problem and clearly it's affecting things in a big way. I remember earlier this season, I wrote something about the Jays having a home field advantage this mm -hmm. year because of that. They obviously did not have a home field advantage last year. Right. And several of their fans got upset with me saying, hey, hey, we have the same problem. We can't acquire these guys. That's true. Yeah. But I was talking about a series to series basis and look at this series coming up. They definitely have an advantage. <laughs> Let me just do one thing here and protect Canada a wee bit because I keep JT Realmuto says, "Hey, listen, I'm not going to let Canada tell me what to put in my body." And people oh, are please. yelling, yeah. fans are yelling at us here in Canada. But Novak Djokovic isn't playing in the U.S. Open for a reason as well. That's because you have the same rules in the United States. I'm not going to get into that because I'm yeah. not exactly sure of the rules, but. As I understand it, the rules have been relaxed here. It's just a negative test. I think that might be a U.S. Open rule, but I do right. not know the answer, right. and I'm not going to answer. Maybe, maybe I'm and wrong, no and I'll accept that. 
No one should be taking this out on Canada anyway. Blame Canada. Thanks, Ken. No, no. Thank you, Tim. (laughs) There is Ken Rosenthal, one of the best in the business. He's a writer. The Athletic MLB on Fox. I am rushing, admittedly, because it's time to send it to Blue Jays Central on Sportsnet. That's right. Jamie and Joe are standing by at the Rogers Center. We tried to squeeze as much as we possibly could for your viewing pleasure. We'll continue on Sportsnet 360 with Jack Campbell of the Edmonton Oilers next on Tim and Friends. Welcome back to Tim and Friends on Sportsnet 360. It has been a jam-packed show from Charlie Montoyo being let go by the Toronto Blue Jays to an absolutely jam-packed NHL free agency. And one of the new names in new places is that of Jack Campbell, who signed a five-year, $25 million deal with the Edmonton Oilers earlier today. And Jack joins us now. Mr. Campbell, thank you very much for doing this on what has to be a very busy day for the Campbell family. Uh, well, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's always an honor and uh, definitely a busy day. But i um, really excited to uh, get started with this group. And, um, yeah, it's definitely a big day for the family. Awesome. Why was Edmonton the right fit for you, Jack? Uh, well, being fortunate enough to play in Toronto and, um, you know, I just absolutely love my time here. And, um, you know, the fans, the uh, just the passion that the city has for, for you know, hockey and, and the Leafs. It just really made me want to, uh, you know, get right back at it. And, um, you know, obviously oil country, everybody's, uh, the place is rocking in the playoffs and just really uh, fired me up to, uh, you know, to try it again and, and try to get it done in Edmonton. Did you watch much of their playoff run? Um, this year I watched a lot more of the playoffs um, than last year, that's for sure. And, um, you know, the series with Calgary and then Colorado, of course, and, um, then the finals of Colorado and uh, Tampa. Um, you know, just some good hockey, just trying to learn some stuff and uh, just to be ready to go for next year. So, so let me ask you a question because you mentioned Toronto and you mentioned Edmonton, and those are two pretty hot markets. And, and I've been told a bunch of times sitting in this place that I'm sitting that there are those who shy away from the hot hockey markets in Canada, yet you're going from one to another. Is that something that you embrace and understand? I mean, I just, I think it's kind of contagious. Like, you walk around, people are saying hello. Obviously, skating out in Scotiabank Arena and, you know, hearing the chants for the team and then hearing the soup chants, like, that's kind of what you you know you, you play for other than winning of course it's like that just that environment you're you're on center stage and you want to uh it just makes you want to be the absolute best you can be every single day so i just thought uh you know it felt it felt right to go to a team you know with super passionate fans and a team that's right there and was in the conference finals and um just super grateful to be a part of it do you see similarities between the team that you left and the team that you're joining? Uh, definitely. I mean, I think uh, we definitely had a lot of the right pieces in Toronto and can't thank my teammates enough for everything for, you know, allowing me to have this opportunity, um, you know, to explosive offenses for sure. And, um, you know, we had some great defensemen and it just it was an honor to play behind them in Toronto and go into a team with some great defensemen in Edmonton. It's going to, uh, it's going to be a blast and I just can't wait to get to work and get to know the guys and, uh, you know, see the fans. 
I can almost hear it in your voice, and, and I know from having talked to you before on this show that it seems like you got pretty close to the group in Toronto. I, is there some bittersweetness to today? I mean, absolutely. I, I wanted uh, things to work out, you know, before the season started and during the season and during the playoffs. You give it everything you have to win with that group. And, um, you know, it's hard to just, you know, snap your fingers and move on. It's, uh, I, I love those guys, and they mean a lot to me. So, um, you know, I wish them the best of luck, and I'm still going to be friends with, uh, with, with them all for forever. So, but that being said, you know, the opportunity we have in Edmonton to win is, is amazing, and uh, we're definitely going to be building those relationships there too. I know it's a business, and I know that you guys are reminded all the time that it's a business, but did you talk to any of the boys on the Leafs about the move? Like, did you talk to anyone when it became final? Is there any back and forth that you have with current teammates who obviously also know that this is a business? You know, it's tough. Uh, I didn't really know what the move was going to be, and, and then all of a sudden it comes out, you know, and, uh, and it's just nice to have people that you care about and they care about you be happy for you, even if it's not exactly what, you know, they wanted. And, you know, I'm just grateful to have the friends and teammates and coaches that, uh, you know, care about me and, and my family and, uh, you know, just like I do them. So it's uh, definitely a interesting process but man I'm, I'm so grateful and fired up to be uh, be a part of Edmonton that's for sure all right so let's talk about the Oilers a little bit in the Canadian division you got to you got to know them a little bit uh, you played them a few times is it nice not to have to face Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl now moving forward yeah they're definitely challenging to say the least to, to play against and uh, uh, man it's just everything I've heard about those two and they're work ethic on the ice and off the ice and how, how badly they want to win. It just, uh, you know, motivates me to want to be even better. And, you know, I just want to keep getting better for them and, and win games with them. We heard Ken Holland talk today, and, and he mentioned a Stanley Cup window. Is that part of what attracted you to Edmonton was the possibility to make a deep run in the postseason? Yeah, there are definitely a lot of factors that, you know, made me super happy to uh, to be an Oiler. But, you know, obviously uh, it's a team that's only getting better and only growing each day. And, um, you know, that opportunity to win a Stanley Cup is what we play for. And especially talking to the group today, um, some of the guys, it's, it's apparent that that's, that's the goal and that's every single day that's the focus is getting better for to, to be great in, in the playoffs and during the regular season, of course. And, uh, to get the job done. So it's definitely super inspiring and, um, you know, I'm super motivated right now. Uh, was it a few of the former teammates that we were seeing video right now is Zach Hyman? Is it a few of the former teammates that reached out or did you get to get to know some of the newer guys? Yeah, a couple of the newer guys. And, um, you know, I played with Darnell um, and Sault Ste. Marie. So he reached out and uh, Connor and Leon. And, um, yeah, it's just I can't wait to get to know the whole group and, um, yeah, what Evander did for the team today was just amazing. It's a huge signing and, you know, decided not to test the market and believes in this team. So, if, you know, that just totally inspired me to uh, do my job, that's for sure. 
You know, it's funny. We, we were talking to Kevin Weeks earlier on in the offseason, and he mentioned there might be a seven in front of the number for Evander Kane on the open market. And then we hear today that, that he's signing for just over $5 million per season. Was that something that, you know, obviously other guys take notice. But when you're signing with a team and you see a guy say, okay, maybe that could be out in the open market, but, but I believe in this team. Is that something that attracts you, that makes you feel like maybe you're – obviously you got to make the decision for yourself and for your family. But when you see that, does that alter your opinion of maybe what you just did? Oh, absolutely. I mean, A, it just shows his commitment to winning, and uh, and also it shows, you know, just how special of a place Edmonton is because if he doesn't believe in it that much, you know, he's, of course, going to test the market. And, um, you know, it just speaks volumes about the organization, uh, his teammates, and, and now my teammates. And, uh, you know, like I said, I just can't wait to get to know everybody and get to work. Hey, listen, uh, I know Zach Hyman's one of the all-time good guys out there, and from everyone I talk to, you are also one of those all-time good guys out there. So wish you the best of luck and really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us on a busy day. Oh, I really appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. Anytime. Uh, good luck in Edmonton. There is Jack Campbell, the brand spanking new goaltender for the Edmonton Oilers. And it's... I. I don't know why I was shocked to hear it, but I kind of was shocked to hear him reference what Evander Kane did for the Edmonton Oilers. And, you know, it kind of settles in on a day like today where we're processing so much. You know, there's, here's Brent Burns. Max Pacioretty is a salary dump Literally. of the Vegas Golden yeah. Knights. And here's Claude Giroux going back to his hometown. And you kind of like, right, not only did Evander Kane re-sign with Edmonton, it seems like there was maybe an acknowledgement that Edmonton was really good for him. Edmonton was a team that believed in him and that there was a hometown discount maybe given to the Edmonton Oilers for the first time in a long time. Yeah, I mean, that is certainly helpful if that was the case. Um, I, I keep thinking back to Jay Woodcroft, him becoming the head coach, and then there sort of was a renewed focus on defensive structure. Yeah. with the Edmonton Oilers. And I wonder from a goaltender's perspective that prior to that move, was Edmonton a desirable place for a goalie considering it would have been challenging? Right. But when they now focus and become a pretty decent defensive team, it certainly makes Jack Campbell's job a lot easier. $25 million right. also five does. Five years, five. Also yeah. does. Yeah. But I'm just saying that this renewed commitment to defense might have helped in the negotiations with Jack Campbell. Yeah, and, the, and just the ability to win. Like, you, you make that run. I don't know that Jay Woodcroft will be able to recapture the magic. They've got enough talent yeah. that you would think that they can recapture the magic that they had under Jake Woodcroft moving forward and Manson moving forward. Like, I think there's a lot of pieces to that puzzle and a reinvigorated Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl being an absolute beast. But that's what they have in that dressing room. And I think Jack Campbell kind of took stock of all that, which mm -hmm. includes the five-year term, mm -hmm. which includes the $25 million. But it also, I'm sure, looks at, like, you know, hey, look at the five-on-five -five goals yeah. before Jay Woodcroft and after Jay Woodcroft. And you, you might be right on some of that, even though the names maybe necessarily aren't there. Very likable. You said congratulations yeah. to him, for sure. Yeah. Mean, deserves it. Uh, I wonder if... Uh, I wonder where Tyson Berry works into all of this. Mm. I, I wonder if there's, you know, listen, that Connor Brown was whispered about. There's been some whispers about Berry as well. And I wonder if there might not be 
another move or two up Ken Holland's sleeve. This is one of the best times of the year for that reason because <laughs> you just throw names out and just get thinking. Another good guy, too. Yeah. We've had him on the show before. He's been really good, too. Uh, time for one last break. We'll get the last call with Jesse Talk Canadian Soccer, I guess. And Kevin Durant. Oh, next. yeah. But he hasn't been traded yet. Forgot about that. That's going to be a hard deal to do. <laughs> Honestly, it's probably going to start the year end before now. What do we got here? Uh, NHL free agency, the Jays and Charlie Montoyo. We've got Canada soccer. We've got a statement from the men's and women's side of Canada soccer. We've got Kevin Durant rumors and what the Raptors are willing to give up. And the British Open starts tomorrow. Lost in all of this. The Open Championship for the initiated Jesse <laughs> it's, Rubinoff. It's ridiculous. Yeah, Tiger Woods is playing the Open Championship beginning tomorrow, which is just ridiculous. Somehow it's flying under the radar. Uh, it's time to uh, check out the odds. Powered by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Uh, always fun for golf majors, particularly the specials that Bet Rivers has on their website. So why don't we peruse some of the Open Championship spe specials because I think they're rather intriguing here, Timmy. If you think any of the first three major winners from this season will get another major under their belts here, it's plus 545 the odds. Scotty Scheffler, the Masters champion, Justin Thomas, the PGA champ, and Matthew Fitzpatrick coming off. I know you loved that bunker shot mm -hmm. that he hit at the U.S. Camel Open. Clutch. Camel Tiger Clutch. Tiger-like. Exactly. Tiger-like. So uh, 545 odds if either of the trio of major winners so far is going to get another one. Now, this one is incredibly intriguing at 17-1. to 1. They're expecting low scores at the Open Championship this time around. Just over 7,300 yards. A lot of the par fours are drivable. The wind isn't expected to be kicking up until at least the weekend, really. So the open record is 62 by Brandon Grace five years back. The course record at St. Andrews is 61. Tim, there is talk here of 59 territory at a major championship. So if you like the bet of 61 or better, it's 17 to 1. But you basically have two rounds for that to kick in because, because the, the wind, wind is going to kick up. Saturday, exactly. Sunday. Exactly. So if you huh. if you think Thursday or Friday they can go low, it, it is short, uh, but you're really going to have to be on to get 61 or lower, but the odds are uh, obviously reflecting that. And finally, Jordan Spieth, you need creativity uh, at St. Andrews. We've seen it time and time again from Spieth throughout his entire career. Uh, he finished T4 last time the Open was held at St. Andrews in 2015, and he's in fine form, uh, plus 600 for Spieth to finish in the top three. And I know what you're, what you're thinking right now is, where's Tiger stack up? Uh, Tiger's 70 to one at this very point in time as you take a look at the odds to win it all. Rory McIlroy, 10 to one here, Timmy. I gotta say, he's 10 to one for a reason. Mm -hmm. Three top tens in, in the majors this year, a win at the RBC Canadian Open. It feels like it's Rory's time, 2014 Open Championship winner. He's got the mojo working. I think huh. Liv inspired him a little bit. The motivation of, I got to be the face of the PGA Tour now, okay. and I'm going to play like it. Well, those names are the favorites that you just saw to win mm -hmm. the tournament, and that is part of our TF Predict, is it not? Very nice segue. Uh, we've got another $200 gift card from Golf Town to give away, and the TF Predict, the way it works is you correctly pick the winner of the British Open or the Open Championship. Mm -hmm. uh, the tiebreaker is the final score oh, to par. Now, obviously... Hold on. 
What? Did we break a rule? What's the rule? With the tweet and or the Instagram that says... British Open? British yeah, Open. Yeah, no, that's definitely... You're one of those that, guys that yeah. needs the Open Championship? Yeah, yeah, that's a problem. The, the British Open was like early 2000s, 90s, and I guess all throughout its history, but it is now the, the Open Championship. We'll get away with it. Hopefully no one from the RNA sees it, because yeah. that would be a bit, a bit of an issue. We'll, 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 we'll lose our invite? We'll, we'll lose our... It's like okay. calling anything uh, the spectators at uh, the Masters anything other than patrons right. banned immediately. Uh, so if you hashtag TF predict correctly pick the winner Man. of the open championship and the tiebreaker is the final score Man. to par at uh, 12 a.m. Eastern time tonight tonight because it starts bright and early right Eastern time and Pacific time. So give us the tiebreaker and you might put yourself ahead of other people correctly predict the winner. That's all we need. But if you are going with one of the big if you're going with Roy McElroy, you better give us a tiebreaker because there'll be a lot of them. there's going to be a lot of Roy McElroy's right. out there. So maybe you know Xander Shoffley's on fire. Nobody's hotter than Xander Shoffley right now. A lot of options. Lot of all options. right. So we've got uh, the open championship. Very nice. Yeah. We have got. Kevin Durant, we've got Canada Soccer, we've got NHL Free Agency, we have the Jays about to get going on Sportsnet at 7.07 Eastern Time. We've also got Last Call. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, the Canadian men's soccer team is where we begin. They'll play friendlies against Qatar and Uruguay in September in their final preps before the World Cup. Meanwhile, negotiations between Canada Soccer and the men's and women's teams over fairness and pay equity continue. But they don't seem to be going very well, Timmy. In response mm -hmm. to a report on Tuesday by TSN's Rick Westhead, the men's and women's team released a statement today calling for more transparency from Canada soccer. So how is this going to play out, I ask you? These are never easy, and I understand it because I'm constantly being asked these questions here on this show. So I have to spend time researching things like this so that I can come up with decent answers for the folks at home. And I've spent way too much time on this one. What not enough people are talking about right now is the fact that Canada Soccer and the CSB made a commitment to grow the infrastructure of Canadian soccer. Now, does that allow them to do what they're doing right now? I'm not sure. But there wouldn't be a professional league in this country if it weren't for the CF CSB. And there weren't a lot of people lining up to put, including TSN and including Sportsnet, to put the national team on national television with a rights fee. The CSB put the money up front with a long-term deal at 10 years. And I think that they made a great gamble. What is concerning to me and what the players are asking for and what I asked for the day after we saw them sit out against Panama is transparency. Just tell people what they want to know about what's going to move, what's going to go on moving forward. And the most troubling part to me is a trigger that could make this 10-year deal, a 10-year gamble by the CSB that has already paid off for them, has to pay off for other people. And if they trigger the second 10 years of this and only are paying in and around four to five million dollars if the number that Rick Westhead has is correct is very concerning for Canadian soccer moving forward. So I would suggest to Canadian soccer, to the CSA, to the CSB, the Canadian soccer business, that they all need to be very transparent moving forward or they could lose what is the greatest stretch of Canadian soccer in history. And that is the key here is that everyone will make a lot of money moving forward if this trajectory that everyone knows that this team, men's and women's, are on 
continues on. So it's, it, this is amongst the most precarious positions that any of these people have ever been in on both the men's and women's side. But I think that there needs to be a level of transparency that we've never seen from Canada soccer and haven't seen since the men brought it forward. Yeah, it's just the timing of this like consternation. But and that's what happens in every it, soccer it nation. Sense, yeah. It, when they make the World Cup yeah, yeah. and they haven't been there before, Leverage. we've seen it in European championships, but we've seen it more often in World Cups with countries that have never been there before right. or are going for the first time in a long time. Where's the money going? And I think Canada soccer, knowing that they're at the start of something big here, needs to be very careful with how they deal with this moving forward. We shall see. The Kevin Durant watch continues in the National Basketball Association. According to reports, teams have not been willing to meet the Nets' asking price for KD. And yesterday, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski said that the Raptors have refused to include Scotty Barnes in any trade talks with the Nets. Do you think KD will be moved before the start of next season? Probably, but I also think that this is a remarkably hard deal for the, debt, the Nets to make, and they will not get fair market value for Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. And here's the reason why. Because everyone knows that both guys want out. So how in the good <laughs> name of Sean Marks can Sean Marks get fair market value for any team looking to acquire Kevin Durant, they have to win now. So this is, this is Masai doing Masai things. He's noticing weakness and he is praying. And I don't think he'll give up Scotty Barnes to get Kevin Durant, but he's gotta be in the mix. And that's exactly what he is right now. Here's the, here's the stat that I've given you from the start. Since 1979, the last 43 champions, only three teams have won without an MVP on their roster. You need big time talent to win in this league. Masai Ujiri recognized that when he traded for Kawhi Leonard. He's recognizing that now with Kevin Durant available. And this might be the opportunity for the Toronto Raptors to grab another one of these championships. But. You don't have to give up Scotty Barnes. All right, let's uh, quickly get to the CFL here. One last story for you. Uh, earlier this week, Saskatchewan Rough Riders defensive lineman Garrett Marino was given a CFL record four-game suspension for his actions in last week's games against the Red Blacks, including a low hit on Jeremiah Masoli that would cause him to miss 10 to 12 weeks. After Masoli took to social media last night to criticize the suspension and Marino's actions, Marino issued a statement today saying he won't appeal the suspension and apologizing to Masoli and the Red Blacks. Is that the end of this situation? No. Listen, I, I don't. we have 20 seconds here, so it's not the easiest way to navigate something as delicate as this, but I'll say this. I don't know that Garrett Marino is an idiot, but he was acting like an idiot. And to only apologize after hearing the statements from Masoli and having the suspension handed down seems disingenuous at best for me. Where were the apologies immediately after? If you got caught up in the moment, why did it take a couple of statements for you to issue your own? You nailed it in 20 seconds. I don't know that I did. <laughs> That's it for us. Remember, Jay's Philly's about to get going on Sportsnet. We'll talk to you tomorrow.